This is KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah, and this is Ezra Beck, and today is Thursday, Yudchet, Yudchet Shvat. Today she is a shir on Pashat HaShavua, which will be given by Harav Avram Wolfish. Harav Wolfish teaches in Mechlelet Herzog, the teacher's college that's associated with Yeshiva Taratzia. After, uh, after his share, I'll be back with the Halachayomet. In advance, I would like to point out that there has been a bit of a uh, problem with today's recording. I'm not even sure exactly why, but we were using an automatic recorder and we couldn't see the recording level. And as you will hear, the recording level was too high, which means a phenomenon called clipping takes place. Every time Rav Wolfish raises his voice, there's a sort of a funny interference sound in the background. I apologize again. Even though we've been at this for five weeks, we still occasionally learn new things. We changed equipment this week. And the new equipment actually is better, but we made a small mistake in using it. So today's share, and I hope only today's share, will sound, the quality will not be quite up to the level that we've, we've gotten used to. And I apologize in advance. Now today is Pashat HaShavuah I'll be back later. This week's parasha and last week's parasha, Parashat Yitro and Parashat B'Shalach, share a unique feature. The feature is that, according to some minhagim, uh, people stand uh, for one of the aliyot. The Aliyah that I'm referring to in Parshat B'Shalach, of course, is the Aliyah of Shirat Hayam, and the Aliyah uh, the, for which we stand during Parshat Yitro is, of course, Matan Torah. Uh, this, of course, has given rise to uh, further minhag that the Aliyah be given to a particularly important person, and we won't get into the reasons behind that. But what we do see from this minhag is that there's special importance attached to these two passages in the Torah, Shirat Hayam on the one hand and uh, Matan Torah on the other hand. Uh, both of these passages, in fact, are referred to by the Ramban at the end of the Torah when the Torah sums up Moshe Rabbeinu's career, the uniqueness of his prophecy. The final pasuk of the Torah is Ulechol Hayada Chazaka. And the Ramban comments, The words Hayada Chazaka are a reference to the words Hayad Hagdola that appear right before Shirat Hayam. Says the Ramban, Mamar Har Sinai, Shenemar Levavur Tia Yirato Al Pnechem. Pasuk. Perakaf Pasukaf, towards the end of our week's parsha, which refers to the year Ah, the Moragadol that was associated with Mahamad Harsinai. And so, between last week's parsha and this week's parsha, we're talking about the two events that the Torah itself, at least according to the Ramban's understanding, singles out as the two most significant uh, events of Moshe's career. 
what is special, what is unique about these two events? The event of Kriyat Yam Suf, celebrated in Shirat Hayam, the event of Mahmad Har Sinai, which gave rise, of course, to the Aseret Hadibrot. One further uh, expression of the fact that these two parashiyot of the Torah, passages of the Torah, are special is the fact that uh, both of them uh, have made an impact on our daily liturgy. Uh, we recite, of course, Shirat Hayam every day to, at the end of Pesukei de Zimra. Aseret HaDibrot we no longer recite, but the Mishnah Masechet Tamid, Perakei Mishnah Aleph, records the practice in the Beit HaMikdash that Aseret HaDibrot would be recited every day. The Talmud Yerushalmi in Masechet Brachot explains that this practice was discontinued uh, in order not to strengthen those minim, those heretical sects, who believed that the entire Torah was the Aseret Hadibrot. But uh, what does remain in our daily liturgy is a passage that in the book of Dvarim appears very shortly after the Aseret Hadibrot, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That passage is in fact related to Aseret Hadibrot, and that means that even though we have discontinued the practice of reciting the Aseret Hadibrot every day, but when we do recite Kriyat Shema, we do have uh, a kind of uh, remnant or commemoration of the idea that the Aseret Hadibrot used to be part of our daily liturgy. And again, let's ask the question, what is special and unique about these two events. Um, many things could be said about this, but let's open by focusing on uh, a pasuk written just prior to uh, just prior to Shirat Hayam, related to Kriyat Yamsuf, and a parallel similar pasuk written in this week's parsha relating to the uh, revelation at Sinai, the Aseret Hadibrot. The a uh, passage in Parshat uh, B'Shalach that's in Shmot, Perak Yud Dalid, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, immediately before Shirat Hayam, Vayar Yisrael Tayad Agdola, Sherasa Adonai B'Mitzrayim, Vayiru Ha'amet Adonai, Vayaminu B'Adonai Vmoshe Avdo. Vayaminu B'Hashem Vmoshe Avdo, it says at the end of the Pasuk, the people believed in Hashem, they believed in Moshe, his servant. So, Moshe, who has been serving as God's emissary to Paro and to Yisrael, the leader of Am Yisrael, for approximately a year, Moshe, who has appeared before them, and uh, uh, the people have seen him as announcing God's miracles, the people have seen him bringing God's word to them, bringing God's commandments to them, and yet, the first time it says, Vayaminu Bashem of Moshe Avdo, the people earlier believed that Moshe uh, brought God's word, uh, this it says already in Parshat Shmot, but here, for the first time we see, Vayaminu Bashem of Moshe Avdo, the people believe in God, the people believe in Moshe. The people presumably believe 
that God and Moshe are a team. Moshe representing God and the people at this point, finally, after they see Egypt uh, destroyed, the Egyptian army destroyed in the sea, the people believe in Hashem and in Moshe, his servant. A similar pasuk appears uh, in relation to the revelation at Sinai. Here, it, it's actually presented before the event itself. And when we read in, uh, in this week's parsha, this is in Perek Yudtet Pasuk Tet, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, Hine Anochi Ba'elecha Be'av He'anan, Ba'avur Yishma Ha'am Be'dabori Imach, Ve'gam Be'chai Ya'aminu Le'olam, Ba'yaged Moshe Et Divrei Ha'am El Adonai. The key words for our purposes in this pasuk are Ba'avur Yishma Ha'am Be'dabri Imach, that the people may hear when I speak with you, the gam olam, and they shall believe in you forever as well. So here as well we see the people believing in God, hearing God speaking to Moshe, actually hearing God's voice. That, of course, is a unique and unparalleled event. Moshe generally is the prophet who hears God's voice and brings God's words before the people. Here, the people actually hear God's voice as God speaks with Moshe. The gam aminu And this, in turn, will inculcate within the people a belief in God. Now, it's interesting that uh, there's a difference between the way the pasuk appears in Pashat B'Shalach and the parallel pasuk with regard to Matan Torah. In Pashat B'Shalach, it says, Vayaminu Bashem uva Moshe Avdo. Here it says, Vegam Bechayaminu Leolam, to believe forever. The permanent revelation, the revelation that is meant to inculcate within the people a permanent belief in Moshe and of course in God, the one who sent him, is the revelation at Sinai. And so from Parashat B'Shalach, until Parashat uh, uh, Yitro, from the time of the splitting of the sea, until the time of the revelation at Sinai, uh, the process, that I think the Torah has described itself as a process of inculcating within the people a belief in God, inculcating within the people a belief in the messenger of God, the, the greatest of all prophets, Moshe Rabbeinu, and moving from the kind of belief that was inculcated by the splitting of the sea in Pashat B'Shalach to the permanent, eternal belief in God and in Moshe that is inculcated by Ma'amad Har Sinai, by the revelation, by the revelation at Sinai. Uh, we could talk a great deal about the similarities and differences between these two revelations. In both cases, of course, we're dealing with a tremendous public spectacle. We're dealing with something that was uh, tremendously impressive. Uh, we're dealing with situations that, were, uh, that uh, were psychologically highly charged. The people are tremendously afraid before the splitting of the sea. The people are tremendously afraid during the revelation at Sinai, 
And of course, God appears in particularly dramatic, visible ways in, in both of these revelations. The publicity of the revelation is, of course, also very significant in, uh, uh, very significant in both cases. But uh, rather than talk a great deal about uh, these two revelations per se, what I'd really like to focus on for the remainder of this shiur is what happens in between. What happens in between the, the, uh, these two great revelations and why? Between the, revel- uh, the revelation of the splitting of the sea and Mamar HaSinai, we read about the stay of the Israelites in the wilderness and uh, the rest of Pashat B'Shalach after the splitting of the sea it's really about a whole series of events in which, uh, in which uh, the people time and again encounter problems and difficulties, the problems you would expect to find in uh, setting up shop, living in the wilderness, uh, problems of food, problems of water, and ultimately at the end of the Parsha, an attack by a marauding enemy, the attack by Amalek, the people, one time after another, are tested by these uh, difficult situations, and the people in turn respond time and again by complaining, often complaining bitterly, uh, even attacking Moshe, why have you taken us out of Egypt? And in each case, of course, God responds by providing for the needs of the Israelites, uh, sometimes he seems to respond uh, more graciously. In other cases, we see God giving expression to one or another degree of anger, exasperation, in the fact that the Israelites really uh, seem not to believe in him, not to trust him. Uh, this takes us to the end of Pashat B'Shalach. If we move on to Pashat Yitro, we have something that appears rather puzzling. We have the story of Yitro, the man who gave his name to our parasha. Yitro comes from Midian, appears, meets with Moshe, and we have two major events uh, described in the meeting between Yitro and Moshe. In the first, Moshe describes to Yitro, uh, describes to Yitro what God has done for them, Yitro is uh, very impressed, uh, blesses God for it, offers sacrifices. In the second passage, uh, we have Moshe sitting and judging the people, and Yitro comes in, of course, with his, uh, uh, with his well-known suggestion uh, in order to make the system of judging uh, easier to deal with, more more relevant, more, more applicable, uh, uh, more efficient. Uh, uh, Yitro suggests to Moshe that, uh, uh, that he appoint a system of judges, a judiciary, and of course Moshe accepts this suggestion. And we end with the Pasuk, Vayishalach Moshe et Chotno, Vayelech lo al Moshe sends away his father-in-law, Yitro, who goes back to, uh, to his land. 
the relevance of the passages at the end of Bishalach to our story seem to be uh, seem to be fairly fairly clear. In fact, what we see is a kind of justification for the differentiation we drew before between the two verses that talk about uh, the people believing in God and in Moshe. When, when Parshat B'Shalach said, Vayaminu b'ashem Moshe avdo, and did not add the word Leolam, it was not forever that they believed, uh, we see actually that that was uh, well taken, because uh, in the immediately ensuing events, the people don't actually believe so much in God, they don't believe so much in Moshe, uh, this, these beliefs are called into question. And uh, the point of the stories seems to be to, to perhaps deepen and, and uh, fortify the belief that the people have in God and in Moshe. The bigger question is, why, do, why is the story of Yitro brought in between Parshat uh, B'Shalach and the story of the revelation at Sinai. What's the relevance of this story, uh, these two stories, in fact, that open Parshat Yitro? What's the relevance of these stories to the um, uh, to the process that leads from Kriyat Yamsuf to Mamad Har Sinai? Now, just to fortify this question, let's deal with a famous issue that uh, any student of Rashi is familiar with, and certainly anyone who has read the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban on our Parsha uh, will know. Rashi already notes on Pasuk Yud Gimel of Perak Yud Chet, where it says, And it was on the morrow, on the next day, Moshe sat in order to judge the people, and Rashi comments, Mimacharat, the morrow, doesn't mean the day after the events described in the previous 12 psukim, the events of Yitro coming and Moshe greeting him and so forth, but Mimacharat means Mimacharat Yom Kippurim, the day after Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, as we know from our traditional chronology, chronology that Rashi brings uh, elsewhere in Chumash as well as here, is that the Torah was given on Shavuot, and then uh, after Moshe went up to receive the Luchot, was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down on Shivasar Tammuz. that's the day, of course, when he sees the golden calf, smashes the tablets of the law, goes up for another two 40-day periods, one of praying and beseeching God to forgive the Israelites for the, for the golden calf. And the second time, 40 days and 40 nights, in order to receive the second Luchot, and following along with this chronology, Moshe comes down from the mountain, finally, with the second tablets, on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of the renewal of the covenant, the day when Moshe comes down with the second, uh, the second Luchot. This is the day that throughout Jewish tradition will represent renewal of covenant. The Israel, Israel and every individual in Israel have sinned, and on Yom Kippur 
we receive the Torah anew. We renew our covenant with God, uh, just as God said on the first Yom Kippur, uh, uh, just as God granted the Israelites forgiveness for their sin, so too on every Yom Kippur, we beseech God to forgive us for the sins we have committed during that year. So it is the day after that Yom Kippur, says Rashi, when Yitro sits to judge the people. How does Rashi know that? Rashi knows that because it says a couple of psukim later, when Moshe is describing uh, how he judges the people, And I shall make known to the people the uh, statutes of God and his Torah and his instructions. Uh, the statutes, the instructions haven't been received yet, says Rashi. This happens only at the time of the giving, uh, only at the time of the giving of the Torah. And therefore, therefore, says Rashi, it's clear that this passage cannot have occurred before the giving of the Torah. It can only be uh, about a half a year after, a little less than half a year after the giving of the Torah. That's when this whole passage occurs. And that just reinforces our question, if, uh, if the passage didn't happen before the giving of the Torah, why is it written here? We know, of course, that ein muktam umuchar Torah, that the Torah is not necessarily written in chronological order. Different commentators have different approaches to this principle. Rashi is somewhat liberal in his uh, use of this principle, not quite as liberal as the Ibn Ezra. We'll see the Ibn Ezra a little later on. But uh, Rashi does make fairly liberal use of the principle, Ein Muktam Ucharba Torah, that the Torah doesn't necessarily follow chronological order. But of course, that just reinforces the question. If, uh, if the Torah has departed from the chronological order, we would expect there to be a reason what would be the reason why the Torah departs from the chronological order? Now, in the case of Rashi, we might say, well, if Yitro arrived uh, and met with Moshe before the giving of the Torah, then that will explain why Parshat Yitro opens with Yitro's coming and the meeting and uh, all the ensuing events. And once the Torah is talking about the relationship between Moshe and Yitro, the Torah then decides to continue by discussing uh, the continuation of the story between, uh, between Moshe and Yitro. Uh, according to Rashi, this is, of course, uh, a possibility. And so the Torah departs from the chronological order in order to put the two Yitro stories next to one another. However, it's questionable whether Yitro actually came uh, before the giving of the Torah. The Ibn Ezra, uh, following one opinion in Chazal, uh, and uh, by the way, this opinion is also alluded to in Rashi, the Ibn Ezra uh, decides quite uh, clearly that Yitro did not come before the giving of the Torah. He has several reasons why he, uh, why he believes that, that this is the case. No. 
the main, uh, we'll focus on a couple of the reasons that the Ibn Ezra gives for this uh, determination. One of the reasons that he gives, and uh, perhaps the key reason, is in Pasuk He, when it says, Vayavo Yitro Chotein Moshe Uvanav Yishtoel Moshe, El Hamidbar Asher Chonesham Har HaElokim. It says that Yitro comes to Moshe in the wilderness where they are encamped uh, opposite the mountain of God. The mountain of God is, of course, Mount Sinai. Now, at the end of Parashat B'Shalach, we read that Bnei Israel were in Rafidim. The people do not journey from Rafidim and reach Mount Sinai until the beginning of chapter 19, and that's, of course, where the people begin to prepare themselves for the, uh, for the revelation of the Torah at Sinai. And so, says the Ibn Ezra, it must be that Yitro came not at the point where the Torah describes it. The Torah interrupts the narrative of what happened in Rafidim and inserts the whole Yitro story. Then, of course, the Yitro also mentions, as did Rashi, Vodati et Chukei, the Ibn Ezra also notes the fact that there is an altar. And uh, the Ibn Ezra says, where will, they re- where will there be an altar? If the Israelites are in Rafidim, there really shouldn't be an altar. Now the truth is, as the Ramban notes, that this argument isn't entirely convincing, because there was an altar. We don't know that it was an altar that ever served for sacrifices, but at the end of Parashat B'Shalach, the Torah says, Vayiven Moshe Mizbeach, Vayikra Shemo Adonai Nisi. There was a Mizbeach. Moshe built this altar as a kind of uh, commemoration of the miracle of, the, of God having saved them from Amalek. Uh, and, but this Mizbeach might well have served for the offerings that Yitro brings at the beginning of the parsha, But the more convincing argument, I think, is the argument of El-Hamidbar Asher Huchonesham Har Ha'elokim. That seems to be a fairly convincing argument. The Ramban wants to argue that, in fact, Yitro came before they got to Har Ha'elokim, but he remained with them, and some of the events were after Har Ha'elokim. But uh, I think that the Ibn Ezra's point here is a very well-taken point, and this just underscores the question. If the Yitro story is written out of order, then why is it brought at this, at this precise juncture of the Torah? And truth to tell, even if we accept the Ramban, and the Ramban, unlike Rashi and the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban usually labors mightily to try to maintain the chronological sequence of the Torah. The Ramban says it's true that Ein Muktamu Muchar Torah, the Torah sometimes does depart from chronological sequence, but that will happen only when the Torah signals that very clearly by bringing dates, such as it does, for example, at the beginning of Bamidbar. And secondly, the Ramban says there always has to be a reason why the Torah does so. Um, in this case, there's no signal, says the Ramban, that the Torah is departed from the chronological order. There are no dates mentioned. So the Ramban does try to maintain the chronological order. But the truth is that even if chronologically Yitro did arrive at the time, 
uh, if the Torah describes it, presumably it's part of the sequence of events. In other words, the Torah doesn't just tell you things because they happened. The Torah tells you things because they're part of the story, because they add something to the story. So, uh, whether or not we accept the Ibn Ezra's view that Yitro actually came later, we do have to try to examine what this story adds uh, that's important for us uh, in order to understand the sequence that leads from the splitting of the sea until the, uh, until the giving of the Torah. And I would suggest that each of the two parts of the Yitro story adds a different component. The first part of the story is really a kind of summation of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's really, I would say, the first instance in the Torah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because the Torah says, actually using the term Sipur, in Perak Yudchet Pasuk Zayin, Vayisaper Moshe Lechotno et kol asher asa Adonai Lefaro Mitzrayim al odot Yisrael, et kol atla'a asher ma'at mitzaatam baderech vayatzileim Adonai. Moshe told, Vayisaper, Sipur, he told him all of the events. Yitro reacts with joy, with blessing God, with bringing sacrifices in order to thank God for his redemption of the Israelites from Egypt. This is, one might argue, after the Exodus, the first Seder. The first time when the story of the Exodus from Egypt is told over with all of the events that we usually associate with the Seder. It's accompanied by Halel. It's accompanied, in fact, by a thanksgiving sacrifice, a korban. And uh, summing up the Exodus from Egypt is an integral part of preparing the Israelites for revelation. Let's think back to the four Lishonot of Geula, where God outlines how the redemption is going to take place. God tells the people, God will redeem the Israelites from the work, then he will redeem them from the from belonging to the Egyptians, and finally, I will take you to be my nation. That's a reference to what actually happens in, in our Parsha, in the second part, where we talk about the revelation at Sinai, where God says, You will be for me a nation of, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God takes us to be his nation. And then you will know that I am the one who took you out of Egypt. That is a reference to Ma'amad HaSinai. The first step towards a revelation at Sinai is that the people have to be aware who took them out of Egypt. Yitro is the first one to really express this awareness, to hear the story, to give God thanks for redeeming, redeeming the Israelites from Egypt, if you will, to really solidify what the Israelites realized at the sea, 
to come back to it again, to realize, yes, indeed, it is Hashem who took us out of Egypt. That gives us part of the preparation that's necessary for the revelation at Sinai. The second part of the Yitro story gives us a second component of what is necessary for the revelation at Sinai. And let's read it in light of the Ramban. If we assume that, in fact, there has been no revelation, there are no mitzvot yet, then it's rather remarkable that the Israelites are turning to Moshe, and Moshe says, It must be that Moshe, uh, Moshe comes before God every time and receives the divine commandment, or that Moshe takes perhaps the chukim that were given at Marah, where it says, Sham Samro Choku Mishpat Visham Nisau, at Marah, after the bitter waters, Moshe is given some group of commandments, and Moshe perhaps has to apply and interpret these commandments in order to judge between a person and his fellow. One way or another, what I think we see is clear is if Moshe is sitting all day before God in order uh, uh, in order to judge the people, we see a tremendous thirst on the part of the people for the word of God. And this, I think, is, is, uh, is part of the message of our Parsha. Before describing God coming to the people and saying, here, I have a Torah that I want to give you, first we're given a picture in which we see the people actually want to receive the word of God. Now, according to the Ibn Ezra, this actually, and according to Rashi, this actually occurred after the giving of the Torah. But it's not by accident that the Torah decides to give us this story before the giving of the Torah. The Torah wants us very much to see that giving the Torah cannot be a one-sided operation. It cannot be only that God decides to give the Israelites a Torah. There must be a group of Israelites who are prepared to receive the Torah. The Israelites, before receiving the Torah, of course, say, Kol asher diber Hashem na'aseh. This is in Perak Yudet Pasuk Chet. But, even before that, the Torah has taken the trouble to describe to us that the people need the Word of God. The people need to be judged. The people have clamored so for the Word of God that Moshe was forced, using the sage advice given him by Yitro, Moshe was forced to set up a judiciary system in order to bring the word of God to the people. Thus, when God gives, gives his word to the people, gives his commandments to the people, this is a people who want it. This is a people who have already set up a framework in which that word can be processed, interpreted, applied, and again, uh, I'm not prejudging the issue of the chronology. Possibly the people have already done so, this is according to the Ramban. If not, the Torah is giving us the message that there is no point of God giving us the Torah unless the people will do so, unless the people will display a thirst for God, will uh, give rise to the setting up of a judiciary that will receive this word and be able to apply it. It's at the point where the people 
have fully assimilated that God is their Redeemer, have moved from there to the next step as accepting God as their Commander, God as the one uh, with whom they can have a covenant, a covenant in which God will promise to continue guiding and leading His people, providing for them. And they, in turn, will commit themselves to uh, keeping and obeying the Divine Word, this, these are the events that are described at the beginning of Pashat Yitro. The end of Bisharach describes the testing period, one of the key words in all of the uh, stories at the end of Bisharach is the word Linasot, Nun Samech Hey. God tests the people, the people test God. At the beginning of Yitro, we have the beginning of the movement from the Nisayon into the acceptance. The translation of the emunah, the faith and the belief that we first encountered at the end of Kriyat Yamsuf, the translation of that into a permanent relationship. Vayaminu Leolam, they will believe in Hashem and in Moshe forever. The two stories at the beginning of Yitro are stories that explain. Uh, that can uh, make a, an important contribution to explaining how, in fact, this tra- transition is effected, how the people prepare themselves to move from the belief of the splitting of the sea to the belief uh, that is achieved through the revelation at Sinai. Thank you. You have been listening to Pashat Shavua with Harav Avram Today's Halacha Yomit, we're still in Hilchot Kriyat Shema. The Shulchan Aruch has the following psak. Kara Kriyat Shema, b'nechnas l'vet ha-knesset u'matzat zibur shakorim Kriyat Shema. Tzarich likhot imahem pasuk rishon. If someone comes into shul, or is, is in shul, and you hear the tzibur, the, the chazan and the kahar, are up to Kriyat Shema, they're saying Kriyat Shema, but you are not up to Kriyat Shema. So the Machaber rules that you have to say Kriyat Shema together with them. The reason is, you should not appear to be not be saying Kriyat Shema. In other words, Kriyat Shema isn't merely something to say. It's the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. Kabbalat ol machut shamayim. And not participating in everyone else's acceptance of the yoke of heaven makes you seem as though you were a, a refusing, as though you were protesting, as though you wished not to be included in the public declaration of allegiance to God. And therefore, to avoid that situation, to avoid that appearance, even though you're going to say Kriyat Shema later on, so you say at least the first, the first Pasuk. In the very next uh, line, the Mechavah says, you should really say the whole Kriyat Shema. It would be better. Tov. Mahem Kol Kriyat Shema. Uh, even though all Kriyat Shema is not the same level of allegiance, it says, but it's all one mitzvah. And therefore, uh, ideally, if there's no reason not to, so one should simply say the entire Kriyat Shema together with the Tzibur if one comes to say in Teshur exactly at that moment. The more interesting problem is suppose you're in the middle of Davin. So then it depends on whether or not one is allowed to be Mavsik at that point. For instance, the, uh, the Mechaber thinks that during Pesukah de Zimra you should not stop in order to say Kriyat Shema with the Tzibur. But many Achronim disagree with the Mechaber at this point. And there's a, there's a big Machloket. Uh, let's say, 
poskim on either side as to whether or not one should uh, interrupt Zukeda Zimra, which we discussed uh, a week or two ago, that you're not allowed to be mafsikim Zukeda Zimra, should you interrupt Zukeda Zimra in order to say Kriyat Shema. The Mishnabur therefore paskins that, well, you should only for the first pasuk. Because it's a kind of compromise, but since the real necessity is to say the first pasuk, and the rest of Kriyat Shema, Machaba only says Tov Sheikrai Mahem. So, for Tov, for a good idea, Psukhidizimah is problematic, therefore, Halacha Lamaisa, you should say the first pasuk, even in the middle of Psukhidizimah, but not, but not the others. There's a similar Machloket concerning Birkot Kriyachma, which is probably more likely if you're saying, you're diving a little bit slower than anybody else, you might be in the middle of Birkot Kriyachma, whereas the Tzibah is very up to Kriyachma. So there are some posts in the Bach, specifically, the Bach thinks that even in Birkot Kriyachma, a much higher level of non, non-hefsik, of one should not be mafsik. Even in Birkot Kriyachma, the Bach said, one should say uh, Shema with the Tzibur, and he adds, V'kein ani oseh. Apparently it happened to him more than once. Uh, that his tzibur daven faster than him, and he said he would do it. But here, most achorim, most achorim disagree. The Taz, first of all, the Bachson Sanalo immediately disagrees, and many achorim. Therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, one would probably not, it would be, it would be incorrect, Allah Maisa, to say Shema out of place in Birkot Kriyat Shema. But in Pesukei the Mishnah says you say at least the first Pesach. If you're in a place where it's mutter, permitted to be mafsik, so you just walked in from the street, or you've already davened, you're not davening with them, or some other point, then the advice of the Shulchan Aruch is to, is to say the entire Kriyat Shema, the Mama immediately adds, no chayav, pasuk obligation is only one Pesuk, but to say the rest would be a good thing, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really hurt, and many Achorim agree that that would, be the, that would be the best thing, that would be the best thing to do. Now the Achorim add that when we say the first Pesuk, it means also Baruch Shem Kvon Nochutal. This is, uh, not an obvious point, but many, many Achorim, Allah Chalamai said it's brought down in Mishnabur and, and Machz Tashako and others, say that whenever the Allah speaks of the first Pasuk, since we've added this extra line, it's not in the Torah, we've added the extra line of Okshen Kvon it's part of Kabbalat Omachut Shemayin. It's part of Shema. It's in addition to Shema, to the first Pasuk. And therefore, Allah Chalamai said, wants to say two Pasukim, Shema and Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto Lo'olam Lo'olam Ved. The Yechonim added that this halacha, which is stated only about Kriyachma, should apply to other similar things. For instance, if you come in and you hear the Tzibur saying Aleinu, since Aleinu contains the bowing down to God, and bowing down to God has a similar content, similar meaning to saying Kriyachma, it's, it's accepting the yoke of heaven, you bow down to the king. Therefore, the Yechonim say, you should bow with them. The post command that it's hard to imagine there's a real chiyah. So just like we had in Kriyachma, a distinction between the first pasuk, an obligation, and the rest, a good idea. So maybe this is no more than a good idea, and, uh, and not a real chiyah. Some achorim say even about Ashrei. That if you come in and you hear them saying Ashrei, it would be appropriate to say Ashrei with the, with the tzibur. It's less, less of an obvious halacha. Uh, but about bowing down, that's a fairly a fairly accepted thing. What happens if you can't be mafsik at all? You're in a place where it's also to be mafsik. So, um, the Mechaber says that you should continue to say whatever you're saying, but say it with the nigun of Kriyachma. In other words, I don't know whether or not nowadays there is a special nigun for Kriyachma, there might be, but what he's really saying is, since the halacha is basically how it looks, 
You should not appear to be a dissenter. So faking it is better than nothing. You really should say the first pasuk. If you can't say the first pasuk, you should pretend. And the way they pretend, he says to say it with the proper with the proper tune. And Echoim says, since we all come in minigas to cover one's eyes during Shema, you should cover your eyes. You're, you're saying something else entirely. Let's say, you're in the middle of Birkot Kriyat Shema. So you won't interrupt, but you'll cover your eyes when you're saying this, this other saying. And uh, so that it appears uh, that you're saying, you appear to be saying Kriyat Shema, and it doesn't appear that you're dissenting and, and refusing to say it. That could surely be said for any time where the Tzibur is bowing down. Let's say Elena, there's no problem for you to bow down. So even if you can't say Elena because you're saying something else, but but bow at the same time so that you're not uh, appearing to be to be the center, to be refusing. You're joining with the tzibur and accepting the yoke of heaven. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a special program for uh, Shabbat. Until then, this is Ezra Bek, broadcasting from Yeshivat HaRatzion in Gush Etzion. This was KMTT Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Udvar Hashem Mirushalayim.